Hello, St. Andrews, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are kind and good. We see that in our past with the Lord Jesus raising us from death to life, dead in our sins and now alive again in him. We see it in our present with your constant presence with us and your provision of our every need. And we see it in our future, your glorious plans for us into eternity. We thank you, Father, for that. And we pray now for humble hearts as you speak your word to us. Please change our hearts to trust and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we finish this series on grumbling, let me tell you about two people, two very different people. The first is a lady called Wilma, who I met in a very small apartment in Parramatta. Liz and I had lunch with her when I was a student minister in Parramatta many years ago. She lived in this small apartment in Parramatta. Her name was Wilma, and she'd had an amazing life. She and her husband, John, had been born in Holland and had lived in their childhood and young adult years through the horrific years of the Second World War. Uh, During those years, living in their separate homes, they were engaged at the time, they had very little to eat and very little to keep warm. They used floorboards and doors and chairs and anything really to uh, keep the fires going, to keep themselves from freezing. And below the table that we ate on in that small apartment in Parramatta was a rug. And it wasn't a very uh, particularly exciting rug. It's the sort of rug that most of us maybe would be embarrassed to have in our homes, but it was precious to them. During the war, John himself had been of fighting age and the Nazis would come through the towns uh, looking for recruits. And throughout all those years, it Uh, this rug had been all that had saved him. He would hide in a hole under the rug, under the table, each time news swept through that the Nazis were on their way. And years later, with John and Wilma having moved to Sydney, when news came that John's own parents had died, uh, the only thing that he wanted shipped out to Sydney was this rug and that table. Sitting on that same rug some uh, many years later, 2003, with Wilma, a woman so obviously filled with thankfulness to her God for his provision in her life. She told all sorts of stories of her life, stories of losing children in childbirth, stories of a son dying uh, very young of cancer. And to my mind, she told the story of her greatest sadness, watching her husband John slip away. The man who had wooed her and danced with her and sang to her and crossed the world with her. The the man who had laid next to her through all that they had faced together. The man who remembered what she remembered, who'd shared life and memories with her, was now having his own mind pulled apart by the illness of Alzheimer's. Uh, John had eventually, in recent times, had to be moved into a care home just around the corner from the apartment. And the crushing blow for Wilma was in recent weeks, uh, John had ceased to remember even who she was. And yet each day she would spend hours with him. Uh, She would go there and she would play the songs of their childhood and their teenage and adult years. Uh, Music would fill the room for those hours they spent together because in Wilma's words, the last thing to go was the music. Even now, uh, years later, I remember Wilma with a smile, this amazing woman trusting God, following Jesus, leaning on God's grace, not grumbling in the midst of all that she had faced, but staring that sadness in the face and calling for the band to play on. Uh, There's Wilma. And let me tell you about another person, very different, uh, this time a a fictional character from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. And he calls it that because he's talking about the stark difference between the future uh, reality of heaven and hell. Uh, 
And in the book, one of the scenes is uh, the main character is shown a bus uh, of a group of people on their way to hell who are heading to hell, deserving of it. And the bus, we're told, is filled with the sort of people our world would expect to find on a bus like that. But then there is this woman. And as the main character walks around the bus, this woman keeps wandering around, interrupting uh, with endless complaints. And while the main character is annoyed by her, he's completely confused as to why she's on the bus. Uh, He says this, speaking to his teacher, he says, she isn't wicked. She's only a silly woman who's got into the habit of grumbling and feels that a little kindness is due to her. The teacher says this, ah, that's what she once was. But the whole question is whether she is now a grumbler. The main character says again, I would have thought there was no doubt about that teacher. No, you misunderstand me. The question is whether she is a grumbler or really now only just a grumble. But how can there be a grumble without a grumbler, says the main character? Well, easily uh, you would have experienced it yourself. It, It begins with a grumbling mood and you yourself distinct from it, perhaps even critical of it afterwards. But But then in some dark hour, you may even find that mood of grumbling and complaint helpful and comforting, and you may even embrace it. But even then, you can repent and come back out of that mood. But but there may come a day when you can do that no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood, uh, nor even enjoy it, just a grumble itself going on forever like some machine. I mean, there could not be two more distinct characters than... Wilma or Grumble, could there? And what the Bible has been doing for us as we've studied Numbers 11 together over these weeks is warning us that this seemingly innocuous and ever-present reality of grumbling in our spirit is, is not normal or harmless, but destructive. It actually comes from a heart that, 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 uh, whose faith in Jesus is not growing deeper even in the face of circumstances, but uh, as they see his goodness in the midst of them. But, but a heart that as it's besieged by circumstances or disappointments that come or pressures that, that come on us or inconveniences, each one of those doesn't deepen our faith as we see God carry us through them. It, it diminishes that faith. The reality is, uh, we've seen in, the, in these weeks, if our faith in God is not based solely on his grace to us in our past and present and future, if it's based instead on our circumstances and perhaps our dreams of the ideal scenario that our life should have if God really loved us and was committed to our good, then every experience that we have of falling short of that scenario will not deepen our faith, it will diminish it. But the more we see instead the Lord Jesus clearly, the more we see the difference he has made to our past and present and future as we saw last week, the more we will learn to stand firm on his grace alone and for that to be enough for us. And not so much standing on our circumstances because they're fragile and brittle, the more we will discover that here with him is a joy that cannot be shaken by any circumstance in this world. Now, last week we began to see that part of the way we overcome grumbling is actually doing that work of resetting our vision, reviewing our past and our present and our future. And uh, this week what we're going to see is that once you have your eyes fixed, then you can get your footwork right. (laughs) They're the two steps, if you like, for overcoming grumbling. Uh, Fix your vision and then this week follow the leader. That's what we're going to see in Numbers 11. So come with me to Numbers 11, and we're in verse 1. 
Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then the fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. But when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Do you see the pattern? Do you see what's happening? Uh, Moses is the leader of God's people. His job is to intercede for them, but through the ministry of bringing God's word to them, as you read through Numbers, you see that, and here bringing them before God in prayer. And I think his actions here model for us how to intercede for one another as God's people to stop the spread and the effect of grumbling. And here's why we need to do that for one another. I hope you've seen this as we've gone through this series. Uh, We need to do it for one another because this is a community just like the Israelite community. This is a a community that, that has one fundamental problem and we're all part of it. Its problem is that there's people in it. People affected by grumbling. People whose grumbling affects others. That's the nature of this community. Uh, it can be all sorts of different grumbling. There, there, there are varieties. I wonder if you've experienced that. There, there's what I would call competitive grumbling. And I remember when Liz and I were first married, the first few years of our marriage, we always seemed to get colds at the same time. And then it would be a competition as to who had the worst cold and therefore who deserved the most sympathy, which was obviously me because mine was a man flu. So there's competitive grumbling. It can happen husband and wife like that. It, it could even happen in a small group, perhaps competing when it comes time to share prayer points. Uh, you think you've got a hard, just wait till you hear my story. There's uh, competitive grumbling, but then there's what I would call comparative grumbling, where we grumble about others. Uh, perhaps it's leaving small group uh, with a friend or a spouse, and you think, why can't I be in a group with normal people? Well, let me encourage you, next time we're together as a church, and we're hoping that day is coming soon, next time we're together, look around and see if you can see any normal people, including yourself. There's competitive grumbling, there's comparative grumbling, and then perhaps the most common, there's what I would call cooperative grumbling, where we gather together to, to grumble together. It can be actually the whole source of friendship between people. That's why we gather. We gather to complain about things and grumble. That We don't have an agenda. It's not written on a sheet. We don't need that. We're just ready to grumble. The reality is if that's us, we are not being friends. We're diminishing one another. And so this is a community just like Israel where grumbling can grow and grow and spread. Without intercession... For one another, grumbling people become more so. Our job, as we see modelled here by Moses, is to love one another enough as that grumbling grows, as that spirit of disquiet and questioning of God's goodness grows, that we intercede for one another because we love one another. To stop the spread, we do that. We intercede by ministering to one another the ministry of God's word and prayer so that we will rejoice before him rather than grumble before him. And if you're wondering who should do that job in a community like ours, in our church family, uh, have a look. See how the role starts with Moses. We see that in those opening verses. He leads the people through the ministry of word and then bringing them to before God in prayer. But as the weight of carrying a grumbling people gets too much for Moses, the, the load is spread. Do you see that in verse 16? The Lord said to Moses, who'd already complained about it being too much for him, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials amongst the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting and that they may stand there with you and I'll come down and I'll speak with you there and I'll, I'll take of the spirit that's on you and I'll put that spirit on them. 
they will help you carry the burden of the people. Do you see what God is doing? So important is it to him that this people be carried through the wilderness to the promised land, to the hopeful, promised certain future that he has for them, that he will not leave it just up to one, he will spread the load so that the people carry one another. And the same is true here, the same remains true for God's people. Yes, there are leaders within our church family. There's a ministry team, a paid ministry team who are set aside, paid and set aside for this task of serving the community through word and prayer. We know that's our task. I love that task. But the work is too important, too big, too spread out and too heavy to leave it to just a few. And so we grow within a church our own intercession teams, Uh, We have, for instance, over 30 small group leaders amongst the adult small groups, not to mention youth leaders and children's ministry leaders and our pastoral care team that's grown up, especially in this uh, COVID season, all tasked with that same ministry of bringing the word of God to bear on people's lives, to bring them comfort and encouragement and to pray for people. That's our job. But it spreads wider than that. Uh, Numbers 11, uh, a couple of uh, renegade leaders, we're told there in verse 26, do you see it there, join the task. And I love this. You've got the 70 elders, if you like, the official, the chosen leaders amongst God's people. But then there's these others who just think, hey, we may as well help out. And I love it because Joshua, who was one of the 70 who was chosen, urges Moses, the leader, to stop them. Why are they doing that? They didn't come to the training day. They haven't done the course. But I love Moses' response. Do you see there, verse 29? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. I wish everybody would exercise this ministry of speaking God's word to his people and praying for people before God. That's Moses' dream. He longs for a day when everybody in the camp would be doing this. All would share in the spirit, not some, but all would speak God's word to one another. And here's the wonder of it. I wonder if you've seen as we've gone through Ephesians this year as a church, that that was one of the things that that Ephesians has declared to us. God's wonderful plan throughout all eternity has reached its fulfillment in his building of the church. The church is the place where Moses' dream here becomes a reality. We're told in Ephesians 4 that we all share in that one spirit. All who name Jesus as Lord are are given this spirit. And we're also told in Ephesians 4 that all of us have the task of speaking God's truth, his word in love to one another. We're all in on this ministry now. All are given the task of speaking this word of truth to one another, that all may grow up to maturity, not grow up to grumble. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of what the church is. The church is not some uh, elite professional organisation. It it, it, this is why we call this series what we have. We are Grumblers Anonymous. And do you know how we help each other? By each other, not just special select few, but one another interceding for those around us, praying for one another, bringing God's word to bear on one another as we meet together on Sundays, at the moment in homes and here at church for some, and in our small groups and and God willing in time all together again in this place. But before we sign off at this point and think, great, that's us and we can do that task, problem solved, there is still a problem. Uh, The problem is if we think simply following Moses' lead here will work, you need to remember what happened to Moses as he went about this task. 
Because as we've seen in Numbers 11, as the grumbling spread and it reached Moses, verse 11 of Numbers 11, rather than intercede, he didn't do that. He was overcome himself and he just joined in the grumbling. That's very possible, isn't it, still? No matter how many of us take on this task. You see, Moses and the others could only carry them so far. The answer to the sin of grumbling is never going to be a human one. The Christian community isn't, in the end, a self-help group. That's not who we are. Nor is there some guru up the front, the, the leader who can carry the weight of the people. It's just not possible. There simply is no one strong enough to carry your weight, nor uh, our weight together. Just not possible. And so when we say that the second part of overcoming grumbling is following the leader, realize that Moses will only get you so far. He's not the leader to follow, ultimately. Do you see what he says in verse 14 of himself? And I think this is true of all of us. I cannot carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. I wonder if you've ever felt that when it comes to relationships within the church family. Reality is Moses' arm is too short and his heart is ultimately too small to cope. Let me ask you this, as you think about this task, how far are you prepared to carry a dead weight? How far would you carry a lost cause? I reckon the answer to that question really depends on how much you value, how precious what you're carrying is to you. I mean, if you're a parent, for instance, how far would you be prepared to carry your child to safety? I mean, it'd be an enormous distance, wouldn't it? You, you hear stories of phenomenal efforts by, by parents. And here's why you see Moses couldn't carry the people. And here's why you see why it's so hard to carry one another as a church. Because even though we call ourselves a church family, and I love that phrase because that is who we are, it's hard to see ourselves that way. We're not really blood, flesh and blood, are we? Uh, and that was Moses' problem. Uh, do you see it there, verse 12? He says there, did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Are they mine? Why do you tell me to carry them as if, as if they're mine? Uh, like a nurse carries an infant. I can't carry them. They're not my family. You see, Moses doesn't love them the way a mother loves her child. The way God loves us, his church. Moses' heart is in the end simply too small. Even with the best intentions, it gives way. Moses cannot carry God's people, nor can you. Reality is it's not in you. But here for me is the wonder of the gospel. Here for me is the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is Moses is just a shadow, just a hint of the leader who would intercede for God's people. The man God would give his people, the man we are to follow, the, the one we can rely on to carry us, the, the man whose heart for dead weight lost causes like you and me is wider and deeper and higher and longer than you could possibly comprehend. The man who, like his father, verse 23, his arm isn't too short to carry us. The one who we're told in Hebrews always lives to intercede for you. He's doing it all the time. He's the one we follow. Follow the one who lived on this earth as fractured and frustrated as it is, and yet he didn't grumble. <laughs> follow the one whose vision of the past and the present and the future is still crystal clear. Uh, did you hear it in the creed that we said earlier from Philippians 2? You, you see the clarity of the Lord Jesus' vision. Uh, being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing for us. 
He took on the very nature of a servant for us, and being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself for us and became obedient even to death, even death on a cross. That's his arms carrying us. Follow the one whose past is infinitely more glorious than yours, and yet he gave it up for you. That's what Philippians 2 tells us. Follow the one whose present on this earth was more painful than anything you and I will endure, and yet he walked that path for you. Follow the one whose future is more wonderful than you could possibly imagine, and yet he shares it with you. We're told in Hebrews to do this. This is how you overcome grumbling. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the beginner and the finisher of your faith, the one who will carry you through, who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that he could carry you. Uh, Let me finish by saying this. If we as a church are to overcome grumbling by following Jesus, if that's what it's about, and it is, then it's going to mean we have to do two things. We have to set this week and every week that follows, each of us and together, to do two things. We need to walk like Jesus, need to learn to do that together, and we need to walk to Jesus. Firstly, walk like Jesus. Uh, That's what Philippians says, that creed that we read out earlier. Do you know what it says just before describing the path that Jesus took? the steps that he took. It says your attitude should be the same as that of the Lord Jesus. We're to follow his way of life. We're to learn to walk like him. I remember years ago uh, when uh, Finn, our firstborn, was was, uh, just a few years old, we were walking back down from uh, church. He'd only recently learned to walk and another member of the church uh, called out to me and said, hey, your son walks just like you. I remember thinking it was a bit of an odd comment to make because I don't, I'm not trying to cultivate a particular style of walking, but uh, somehow I do have a, a way of walking like we all do, and, and Finn had, had, had learned to copy it. I mean, what a joy it would be if people looked in on our church family and what they saw was lives that were in step with the heart Jesus has for us. Lives that love those around us to live, to intercede for them, that they may grow in joy, not grumbling. What a joy it would be if our steps were those of 1 Peter 4 verse 10, where we serve one another with God's word of grace. To have our steps be the, the steps of James 5 verse 16, where we respond to the grumbling spirit in others, not by permission or tolerance or excuse, but gentle rebuke and prayer. Wouldn't it be brilliant if the steps that people saw in this church family were the steps of Galatians 6 where we carry one another's burdens because that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. So let's learn to walk like Jesus. But if we're going to do that, here's the second step, and this is crucial, you have to walk to Jesus. As we start to feel the weight of the task before us, remember it would be a mistake to think that we can be for one another what Moses failed to be for the Israelites. Truth is that uh, we and Moses are made of the same stuff. We need Jesus as much as those around us. What those around us, uh, around you and I need to win their battle with grumbling is, well, in the end, no one here. We together need someone who, when we grumble, will graciously stand in the gap between us and our God, who is rightfully angry at that grumbling. We need someone who can bear the burden of our endless grumbling without weariness, without growing tired and give up on us. We need one who knows how serious the sin is, doesn't excuse it, but is willing to take the blame for it. 
We need the one who can sympathise with our weakness because he has experienced it all and been tempted in every way but was without sin and that is only the Lord Jesus. We need the one that we can approach, we're told in Hebrews 4, our other reading today, we can approach with confidence so that we may receive grace from him and mercy and receive grace in our time of need. Each one of us this week and for every one that follows needs to set the course to walk to Jesus. That's how we can carry each other. See him in your past. When you were dead in your sin, see him there reaching down into the death you were dying because of sin and made you alive again. See him in your present. And, and what is your present situation? Well, try this on for a size. Try the, the lyrics that we're about to hear in our next song. Here's your present. You have no guilt in life, no fear in death. From life's first cry to final breath, that's your present. Grumbling spirit, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. That's who I am in the present. And see him in your future. See him in your future because he saw you in his. Uh, do you know what Hebrews uh, 12 says as he walked to the cross? Do you know what he was doing? He was fixing his eyes on the joy set before him. And do you know what the joy set before him was? The moment when he welcomes you home. You are the joy set before him. Walk to the one whose joy set before him is you. You want to overcome grumbling this week? Walk to Jesus. The reality is what we've seen in this series is this. Only a heart that's not full grumbles. We all know that. But I wonder if you've seen this. Only a heart fixed on Jesus will ever be full. So walk to him. Meet him in prayer. Meet him in his word. And not only do that individually, but let's do that for one another. My, my dream for the small groups of this church family is that they become places where joy is generated rather than grumbling incubated. That will only happen if you go to those groups in the habit with the habit and the desire and the purpose of taking one another to Jesus in his word and in prayer. Do you go to your group with that goal? Serve one another by leading them to Christ so that he might intercede for them and give them grace in their time of need. The sin of grumbling, as we've seen over these weeks, is a powerful enemy. But don't underestimate its effect on you, yes, but also don't underestimate the difference the Lord Jesus and his grace, his timely grace will make to you. Here with him is a joy that cannot be shaken. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you would lead us to walk to him, to find in him grace in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen.